Well, uh, good. Let's go ahead and get started. So, um, Clay Mayfield, uh, you own an academy in, was it Franklin or Nashville? It's uh, Franklin, Tennessee, which is about 20 minutes south of downtown Nashville. So, so yes to both, I suppose. Do you want to hear something ironic? Is like Russellville, Arkansas, one, the place where I have my gym. Um, they want to be just like Franklin and have like spent all this money, like sending all of our politicians and architects and engineers to Franklin to be like, how are we going to be more like these people? Really? Yeah. It, like ironically. Yeah. Um, wow. But it is nice around there, man. I've been, uh, I've been through there and we've taken a few trips to Nashville and it's just such a nice area with such great food. Oh man. That's awesome. Yeah. Franklin is a, uh... Franklin is a unique like feel because I, I was originally in Kentucky, you know, training in like Kentucky and Southern Illinois. And then I, when I decided I wanted to move to Nashville and open a gym, I had uh, looked through Nashville for a couple of years, like different neighborhoods and driven through and trained and I couldn't find anything I quite wanted, like, like it didn't feel right. And then I had family like cousins in Franklin so one of the trips when I was scouting out Nashville for a location, I just kind of drove down and, and visited my, my cousins. And, and I was like, shit, Franklin's perfect. And it wasn't even really on my radar. And then I, I kind of researched it and, you know, looked at the demographics and looked at the competition down here and, and just the city itself. And it was all amazing. And it just has this like small town vibe, but it's a, a, a good sized city. And it's just amazing. If, if I'm not mistaken, Franklin is named after Benjamin Franklin and was like one of the earliest, so I'm going history nerd here, was one of the earliest uh, Western cities to be founded like before Tennessee became a state. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was uh, there's two different cities, one in Kentucky as well. Okay, okay. I'm actually reading a, a, an autobiography of uh, Benjamin Franklin right now. Um, and you're right, it is, it is named after Franklin, and it was founded in 1799, but I didn't know about uh, that it was before Tennessee was a state. I guess that makes sense. Nathan, okay, so check this out. I just, I just read this in a book uh, the other day. Uh, Franklin and whatever the other city was in Kentucky, they, they had kind of formed, but they weren't a, a part of a state, and they were like, look, if you don't get your stuff together over here, we're going to join the Spanish empire. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and everybody was like, Oh my God, they're, they're, these people are thinking about not joining the United States. This is crazy. Like at the time, like, you know, it was uh, a controversial thing, but anyway. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad it didn't go that way. Yeah. So man, I, I saw you mentioning online the other day and like, I, I kind of feel like I knew this, but you have some German heritage. Is that, is that true? Yes. Yeah. My family is German. My, on my mother's side and probably a little bit on my father's side too, but my great grandparents came over from Germany prior to world war one and uh, got settled in the States. They immigrated kind of fleeing the political situation over there and settled in the U S for a new life. And then my family just descended down from there. And so I've always had strong ties with like the German culture and, and uh, the German language and everything growing up and, and 
went over there and lived there for, for a little bit. And then as an adult, I, uh, before I opened the gym, you know, when I was traveling over, I'd go over to Germany a couple times a year and, and train and teach and travel over there and visit family. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And I, I want to say I've heard you like in videos or something like speak, you speak fluent German. Is that correct? I speak German. I'm not fluent yet, but I'm, I'm still studying, trying to, trying to master the language. It's one of those things like jujitsu, you know, uh, I'd say I'm probably a blue belt at German, um, but a, a blue belt compared to someone off the streets is kind of an expert, but compared to the black belt, he doesn't know very much. <laughs> Man, linguistics are super fascinating to me because just like teaching history and like Western Civ and stuff like that, I'm always like referencing like Greek and Latin terms. And then having gone, which I know you have a, a big judo background as well, but like learning Japanese terms, it's you see these little linguistic nuances in, in different parts of the world and it's, uh, it's just interesting. Oh, it's fascinating how everything's kind of tied together. Yeah. So, um, man, how did you get started in training? Did you start off in judo? So I started off in jujitsu and judo simultaneously. We, uh, my family traveled the world growing up. My dad was in medical school and we did like a, like a traveling residency. So we grew up, uh, in, I was born in Texas we moved to the Caribbean for a while in Belize and then lived in England and Germany for a little bit and then all over the States. And when I was 15, we settled in Kentucky in uh, the Western part of Kentucky. And one of my doctor, one of my, uh, my dad's patients told him about a martial arts gym about an hour away from where we lived. And it turned out to be a Hoist Gracie Jiu Jitsu gym. So at the time, you know, we, we grew up watching like Jackie Chan movies and Steven Seagal movies and my parents had done Taekwondo. So we didn't really know a lot about jujitsu, but we went and tried a class and uh, really enjoyed it. And so one thing led to another. We ended up diving into jujitsu pretty hardcore when I was 15. How old are you now? How long have you been training? I'm 27. So um, I guess on paper, I've been training 11 years. Um, I started in August, so August will be 12 years. But the the school that I was at was really, uh, really low caliber jiu-jitsu. Like it almost, in my book, it almost doesn't count. So I spent eight years kind of at a, a at kind of a shitty school. And then after that, I started exploring other options. And then a couple of years ago, I settled at the, the Pedagogy Submission Fighting Gym. So I kind of tell people I spent eight years learning what not to do, and I spent about four years learning good jiu-jitsu. Yeah, man. Um, everything I've seen uh, come out of Pedigo is amazing. Uh, Omar and I were talking – I did a podcast on Omar French yesterday, and we were talking about uh, George Valadares. Do you, yes. you get to train with him very much? Yeah, man. I used to train with those guys every day. And then opening the gym, you know, I, I get to go up about once a month. Um, so it's it's not as much as I'd like. But they come down here and, and train and help teach classes at, in Franklin, too. So we do have a good flow going back and forth. But yeah, I, I know George really well. And we used to train together every day back in the day um, before I opened the gym. George is an animal. He is, man. Um, I had him, uh, and Omar did too. That's what we were kind of uh, remarking about. We both had him teach a seminar at our gym. Uh, at different times. And I went to the one that he taught at Omar's gym. And that was like, just when he was getting started, but he had tapped like over 10 black belts in competition. No gi at a blue, oh, yeah. at a blue belt level at the time. And we were just like, what's this dude into? You know? <laughs> well, but, there's, 
there's a couple things, man. First off, George is just a savage. Um, his his lasso and his pressure passing are, are some of the best I've ever felt. And then in the nogi, his leg locks are just insane. But uh, not to take anything away from George, but just like kind of a testament to his hard work. It's it really comes down to like there are there are just levels in jujitsu, and a competitive blue belt. Like you look at Huberto Jimenez, you know, or Andrew Wiltsey, when those guys were like tearing out blue belt or Gustavo Batista, like the guys that are winning at blue belt would just destroy 90% of like black belts in the world. Just because if you're an active competitor like Ivy Jeff and you're winning pans and worlds at even blue belt or purple belt, you're, you know, you're in the top echelon of the world and belts don't really matter at that point. For real. Yeah. Man, um, you have been competing like a savage, like the whole time I've known you. We've actually even had a, it's been a long time, but like the first time AGF came to Memphis, we got to have a couple of matches together. Um, I've watched you compete and do some amazing things in competition. I watched you choke a dude in his own guard one time. <laughs> like, yeah. And I've had matches that was um, oh, Mark Miller, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. but he's an incredible player, dude. I've had a, ma I've had matches against him and trained with him at his, uh, when he was at Memphis Judo and Jiu Jitsu and, um, man, an incredible, uh, incredible player. And I've just seen you uh, have some awesome matches. Uh, how long have you been competing? Like the whole time? I mean, I, I started, I first met you at the AGF qualifier in Dallas. Oh, that's right. Did we compete? Did you win that? Uh, man, I won one of the qualifiers. I don't think it was Dallas. I think I lost Dallas, and then like a week later, I did a Little Rock one, and I won that one. Yeah, I can't remember um, the guy that uh, won, but I remember I remember watching you compete down there. But that was like right when I'd first seen you, and you kind of came in uh, as a favorite. But I remember looking at your purple belt and being like, "What the fuck?" Because <laughs> 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 it was like super tattered, right? Um, and I'm like, man, this guy must compete a lot. Well, man, that's kind of the funny story. I, I remember I said I started at like a shitty gym. They were, they were like, you know, a very much self-defense only. And, you know, if, if it doesn't work with punches in the face, it's not jujitsu. And just kind of like, you know, sucking the alio dick. And it, it didn't, I don't know if we're allowed to talk like that on the podcast or not. No, no, we, we, we totally are. No, no, okay. open forum. You're good to say anything. Gotcha. So yeah, it was just a very much like almost, almost like a Gracie cult kind of gym. And I mean, the very chill guys, very, very like good people, but the jujitsu was just terrible. Like I was actually watching our matches today um, back from that AGF Memphis and like, dude, you were all over me. Like technically looking at it, I was like, man, I don't, I didn't know what single X was. I didn't know what lasso was. I was a purple belt, but I couldn't even name like these kind of guards and moves just because I was taught that if it doesn't work in a street fight, it's not jujitsu. And you only need to know these basic, like, you know, 40 self-defense moves and that's all there is to jujitsu. But dude, it was like delusional low level of jujitsu. And anytime people would come in and like want to evolve the martial art or kind of look at new stuff, it was kind of frowned upon. So I guess I got to be pretty tough, just like rolling with the guys in the gym and stuff. But, but my technical knowledge was way down there. So my purple belt, you know, everyone kind of talks about how like beat up my belt was and stuff like that. And like, I, I trained and taught all the time, but when I would start competing, I was just getting 
torn apart by guys that were like from Lovato school and, you know, guys that just knew the competition game inside and out. And I got to where I could just win some matches because I would get down like 20 to nothing and like get scored on a bunch. And then I would catch some weird triangle or, you know, like you said, tap someone out from inside their guard. So I got lucky and I figured out a few things, but when I found the Pedigo guys, I was a purple belt and I went up there and got demolished by like every white belt in the room. I couldn't score a point on a single white belt. And I was like, Holy fuck, there are just levels to this game. And then when I went and told my coach, you know, he told me like, Oh yeah, but if it was a street fight, you know, you would beat them up. Cause it was, you know, that's not street self-defense. They're just trying to score points. And I'm like, man, but I'm getting tapped out a lot. <laughs> and so uh, so then, you know, I got to be a brown belt and I, I didn't really want it because I was like, I'm not, I'm not very good. I just know these self-defense moves, but I can't really like do good jujitsu, but I got my brown belt. And then finally I was like, man, I just want to compete all the time. And so I didn't do IBJJF until I got my brown belt. I just did like the, the AGS and the Fuji and stuff like that. And then the Pedigo guys were uh, letting me cross train with them for actually about a year, I was doing privates with Andrew Wiltsey and meeting, you know, met George Valdares and those guys and Heath Pettio would let me come up and train there. And, and it was about 30 minutes from my other gym and they would never like ask me for a mat fee or, or charge me money or anything like that. They just wanted me to come train. And they were so nice to me, man. Cause like they were beating the fuck out of me, but they never like discouraged me from coming back. They were like, man, you got the potential to just keep coming back. And they were just so encouraging. And then after about a year of that, I, I just realized I was kind of spinning my wheels at the other gym. And so I just kind of parted ways and joined Pedigo full time. Um, and then after that, it just became, to answer your question, it just became a passion to just win worlds and, you know, wreck all the tournaments. And my goal has always been to, to be the, the number one ranked brown belt in the world. And, uh, and I've still got some climbing to do to get there. But that and to win worlds at brown belt before I got my black belt are kind of my two goals. And that kind of manifested after I joined the Pedigo team, I was like, all right, this, this can become a reality. Cause there's a room full of savages that, that can help me get there. You know, man, what is it? What is it that they are doing differently as a team? That, some of the things that you see that set them apart. A couple of big things. Uh, one is just relentless drilling you know, we'll, we'll take a move and we'll drill it 10,000 times. Uh, like that's, that's not an exaggeration. Like that's a number we'll pick X pass or triangle or whatever, and just drill it a hundred, 200, 300 times a day uh, until we've done it thousands and thousands of times. And that's just muscle memory. And um, that's, that's one of the biggest things. The other thing is just the intensity of the room. A lot of people expect to kind of like train soft and go a few rounds at the end of class and whatnot and then they think they're going to be able to go win a tournament but you've got to you've got to train exactly the way you want to perform when you compete and at, at pedigo there are no easy matches and even if you know even if the guys suck or they're not athletic when they start or whatever when you come into the room it's like you fight as hard as you fucking can every second of every round to not get scored on and when i first came in there you know I would like get tackled or whatever. And then I would just kind of fall down and accept it. And, and, and then what I noticed is I would maybe shoot a single or double or hip toss or whatever on someone else. And then they would scramble and then they would take me down. And it was like, okay, they're fighting to not get scored on. And even if you get past the guard, they're regarding, and then you have to pass again on the regard. And it just builds that mental toughness of like, fuck, these guys are hard to score on and they never stop trying to beat my ass. 
So the drilling and just the overall intensity of the training are the two biggest things that I think set Pedigo apart from most other gyms. Man, um, I know like this is something like completely unrelated. Um, I was having a con- I was did a Murph this morning. It's this. Cr- are you familiar with that workout? Uh, Murph. Yeah. Oh it's yeah. A- the. It's like you a Facebook about it, right? Yeah, dude, I'm dying right now. I'm so sore. <laughs> Kudos to you, man. That's that's a tough workout. Yeah, but man, I was like the guy I was doing it with. We were talking about kind of like um, jujitsu politics and stuff, and like this guy I know had posted about um, basically like splitting off of his instructor he's been with for like a long time, um, just over like a very small difference of uh of opinion on like him wanting to kind of like start basically start being an instructor for like his people that would affiliate under him this dude's like a third uh third or fourth degree black belt also wow but but there was this this big uh well you know if you want to you know do that kind of go do your own thing I, I feel like was was a deal but like kind of the conversation I was having with this guy is like Man, it seems like um, splits are rarely amicable in jujitsu, and and a lot of people um, either stay in an unpleasant situation or a gym that they're not uh, happy with uh, for fear of not wanting to be like, oh, I, I don't want to be the guy that switches teams all the time, or um, or just out of like loyalty or just not knowing any better. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons, but like. Um, was that like something hard for you to like uh, leave your gym after eight years? Was that like an amicable split? Did you have the support of your former coach? Like, how was that? <laughs> Man, that's an interesting question. Um, and I've, I've never really publicly talked about this. Because... And, we don't, and we don't have to, like, I saw you post about it on Facebook uh, a couple of times recently. And it seems like it's been a positive thing for you though. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely has. I don't, I don't mind talking about it. I just, I I intentionally haven't made a big stink about it because I don't believe in doing that kind of thing. But two things, firstly, I I think a lot of people, like you said, Brian, get caught in this trap of like, I don't want to be a traitor or I want to be loyal. Loyalty is the most misunderstood concept in jujitsu. In my opinion, if your school and your coach aren't supporting you and like giving you what you need, then you should leave and find a coach that does. Because you're a paying customer, you know, you're not like entitled to be a part of this cult or whatever. It's a, it's a business and jujitsu gives so much to the people in it that a lot of times that community gets really tight bonded and it feels like a family, which is great, but it, it doesn't mean you should be tied to something that's not meeting your needs, you know? And so I firmly believe, and I try to set this example with my students too. You know, I have students that are going to feel like they're a better fit at another gym. It's happened before. It's going to happen again. And like, ultimately I want to be selfless and, and say, Hey, if the triangle Academy, you know, like our, our pedagogy gym down here, if triangle Academy, isn't the right fit for you, then I want to help you find the school where you can plug in and be a part of that team, you know, but you don't see that a lot of it a lot in jujitsu and my split with my team was not amicable. Um, it was on my end, you know, like, like both, both my old coach and I both tried to do things the right way and kind of like, you know, gloss things over and, and decide, Hey, you know, whatever's the best for you, whatever's the best for you, let's do it. But when it came down to it, you know, I probably could have done things a little better. And I'm, I'm sure I, 
I'm sure I burned some bridges where I could have been a little more delicate. But when I ultimately decided to go to Pedago, because I was, I was on the cusp of opening the gym down here. Like I already found the building. I almost named this like after my other gym, my old gym. So it was like right in the, in the turmoil of all this transition, opening the gym. I decided if I'm going to make a change, I need to do it now. And then it kind of made sense. Like, Hey, these Pedago guys are my real team. The other gym didn't support me. They didn't like me competing. I mean, Hoist Gracie told me to my face that competing was bullshit and I was setting a bad example for his students. And um, so I just really felt like I needed to switch to Pedago. And when I did it, they told me not to even come back to the other school to say goodbye to my students. Like I taught there for years. I had like, I taught some of these students since they were like four or five years old. And they told me I couldn't even come, you know, like come back to say goodbye. Um, so I don't have any hard feelings, but it could have been done better, you know, probably on my end as well as their end. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm, it kind of shows me that I guess we didn't really have each other's backs after all, you know, and, and makes me more grateful for the culture and team that I have at the Pedago team. Yeah, man. I mean, ultimately, like, you have to do what is best for you because – Man, staying in situations where you're unhappy can – I mean, it can literally lead to depression. Like, Absolutely. That's not even an exaggeration. Like, when when people you're close to, you know, if it becomes apparent that they're not keeping up, that they don't have your best interest at heart, you know, that can be uh, – you stay in that situation. Um, that can be – and your needs aren't being fulfilled. That can be uh, a, a very negative scenario. Oh yeah. What's, um, what's your story there? Have you always been under the same team or did you switch schools? No, I mean, I've always been, I've always been with the same team. Um, but man have just over the years have observed the politics and closed mindedness. And I mean, I've seen like Arkansas jujitsu grow from being, um, having only five black belts when I started. And like, I, I like the guy that was my coach, Caleb, Plank at the time owned Inferno. He ended up moving to Northwest Arkansas, but he's still like, we still stayed uh, connected and affiliated, but he was like the only blue belt that I knew. Wow. Like, yeah, but I've been with them for, hmm, I mean, the whole time, almost 14 years. So, um, but you know, and things like have really evolved and morphed and changed over time. And, and as that has, um, happened mindsets have changed yeah it's like just I'm not I'm very much so not someone who likes to prescribe to dogma or just follow along I'm always wanting to evolve what I'm doing whether it's in martial arts or business or teaching or history or whatever podcasting whatever I'm doing and it's um I've kind of, I've I've been fortunate to have the support. It doesn't mean there haven't been like times where there's friction, but I've definitely um there's definitely been times where it's like, hey, you know, here's here's the direction I'm headed with this. Uh, you know, look, yeah. you know, and, and it might be some initial friction in the beginning, like I'm saying, but ultimately the support has has always been there with uh with our association, which we've really only been a association, quote unquote, for I mean, I've had the same rank through Danny Drain. Um, he's like Arkansas's first black belt, but through him for the whole time I've done jujitsu, I got every belt from him: blue, purple, brown, black. Wow, so, that's awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, and like the guy he he married Cora and I. Yeah. You know, so, oh wow. Yeah, and I mean, like almost everybody in the wedding was like a martial arts school owner or a coach of some kind, you know. Um, so, but that's like, man, you know. But I've I've seen people split and come and go with what we're doing. Um, have had friends come and go. I mean, have seen other people I'm friends with that aren't a part of our association that have schools. It's just like enough to know that this is, it's not like ever, ever, um, it's, it seems like it's never, oh, hey, Clay, I, I wish the best for you, man, and, and whatever you do, which is probably the way it should be, or um, just like the support being there for you on the front end so you don't have to swap uh, and go, you know, find yeah. something that meets your needs better. Yeah, exactly. Man, that's uh, stubborn. It's so, it's easy to stubbornly not meet the needs of your students because of yourself, you know? Like oh, yeah. I've struggled with it too. And just because my coach or some other gym's not doing something doesn't mean that I can't evolve to meet needs. Absolutely. And that's, that's something that like, you know, when we talk about loyalty in jiu-jitsu, the, the expectation is always like, hey, you're the student. You should be loyal to the coach and blah, 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 blah. And it's this kind of outdated old school mentality. But the reality is the opposite. Like if you're a coach and you're a gym owner, you should be loyal to your students, not the other way around. And like loyalty is a two-way street. And, and you know, and, and in a sense, I think like loyal to the overall jiu-jitsu community. I don't know how you feel about, you know, like certain things, but we never charge mat fees. We know we, we don't want people either. Yeah. We don't want people coming in and like your first impression is, Hey, you know, we want to share jiu-jitsu, but give me your money. Like, I mean, of course we're businesses. We got to stay in business. We, you know, we got to be smart and make money and there's nothing wrong or dirty about a jiu-jitsu owner making a good living. But Jesus Christ, if someone wants to come in and you, you know, slap a 30 or $40 mat fee down, fuck you. Yeah, I'm, man, people have to, like, and I, I mean, it literally, like, I, they, like, leave their money on the counter. I'm like, no, 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 you were cool. Like, you're a person. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you came in here and you were a douchebag, maybe I would take you $20 if you tried to give it to me. I bet if you were a douchebag, you wouldn't be trying to give me money, though. Yeah, for real, man. I, I tell people, you know, we never charge math fees. We just want you to come train. If someone's in town, you know, for work and they, they train somewhere else, come train for a week or two for free. Um, you know, but if, if they want to support the gym, I'll, I'll tell them to buy a t-shirt or something like that, you know, but like there's a difference. And that's, that's the kind of mutual respect that like helps the community go around. There's, there's the reality is there's very few people that are just out there to take advantage of you. Yeah. Man, that's like a, a major tenet of what Cora and I do is to just like take care of our people. We've never been financially motivated, but we are financially successful. Yeah, so, and, and that seems mutually exclusive, but I think that's actually the key to it. You know, if, if you are all about the money, then you're gonna smell about being all about the money. Yeah, that it, that's, that's true, man. That's very true. And like, um, you know, the, everybody has different ways of doing business each their own if it works and you know right on i think i've always kind of been about like what do what works for you um because there's a lot of different approaches to to owning an academy and even like with when it comes down to jujitsu and ranks ranking rather and how people conduct all of the business of jujitsu that varies widely as well 
Yeah, absolutely. I remember talking to Chris Carlino um, a couple of years ago, and he was telling me about you and Core opening a gym and said you guys were just killing it, especially with the, the kids program. Yeah, Cora had yesterday 27 kids do her Zoom class, which was blowing my mind. I have like seven people do my Zoom class right now for kickboxing, you know. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I got out for a second there. Well, wow, that's awesome, man. That's a, that's a lot of kids doing Zoom. Yeah, it is, man. Um, and I've seen like uh, Justin Rader, he's been having some – awesome zoom turnout um i saw him posting on his page and stuff the other day but it's um you know it's just been something we've had to adapt and and we've been working like email and text and uh social to really get the word out to our members about like our digital content yeah are you guys doing okay through this the situation that we're dealing with Man, we are. Um, you know, it wasn't ideal timing because we had just moved into a new location. Literally for two weeks, we were in our new gym, twice the size, uh, $400,000 building, you know? And, oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. So we had just moved in, had spent all these money on renovations. We had re renovated for like six weeks. Um but I will say, like, the SBA, where we had our mortgage through, they paid our mortgage for six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, literally, because of the timing, we haven't even paid uh, a mortgage payment. We paid, an, we paid an interest payment for the month we were renovating. Um, so, they, they're like, hey, April never happened. Never happened. And then, you know, for May, for the next six months, we're paying your mortgage, interest, everything. Wow. So, that's that, and we, there's a, been a couple other things we've been able to um, secure. I mean, it's not enough to offset, I don't think, what – I mean, we're going to rebound from it. I'm not worried about that. Um, but it's just, you know, there's, there's no way to offset the losses here in my mind either. Yeah. What about you? What about you, man? How have you been doing uh, with your school? Have you been keeping in contact with students? Like, what, what have you been doing to kind of modify – yeah, man. Um, um, it's been interesting. You know, we've, we've tried to take the opportunity to focus on some internal stuff, you know, some deep cleaning of the school and fleshing out some like an instructor coaching program I'm putting together for our, our um, new hired coaches. We had just hired two more kids class coaches when, when everything shut down. And uh, uh, so income wise, man, our clients have been incredibly supportive. We, we have, uh, about 150 students and we've lost 15 to 20%, but the, the vast majority have been, uh, that have been able to, you know, that haven't been laid off or financially affected have been supporting the gym and like keeping their memberships active to, to allow us to have a gym open for them when, when everything clears up. So that's been, you know, tremendously, um, both helpful and touching. And we've been doing like uh, at home workouts for the kids. We haven't been using zoom, but we've been like shooting and editing videos for the kids to work out at home and, and uh, keeping in touch with everyone, you know, every few days I'll, I'll message all the students and just kind of keep in touch with everyone as best I can to, to make sure we all like make it through and stick through this. And then for the adults, we have uh, a, myself and two of the other coaches are giving like a free private lesson to everyone who kept their membership active. And then we're doing like a free seminar with uh, another gym in town. I'm teaching a, or another gym in Tennessee. So I'm teaching a seminar, his, his gym, he's doing one at my gym for free for our students that 
supported us through the time. Nice. Yeah, we're going to, we've got several kind of events planned. We're going to do a grand opening um, in June. It may still happen, but we're probably going to put, we're probably just going to try and have like a, some free member events really kind of try and give back to everybody that hung in there and uh, then plan like a big summer, uh, bash grand opening after everything's kind of hopefully passed us by with, uh, with all this uh, pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys have a reopen date yet? Uh, okay, so we had an announcement the other day that said May 4th, but then we had an announcement today that said that last announcement was just a, a, a soft open, sort of a maybe. We're going to let you know on May 1 whether or not we're actually going to do that. So um, Oklahoma uh, today announced that they were going to be good for May 4th. So. We've been, we've been getting ready for it though. Um, we started kind of preparing, uh, to reach out to all our people about it. Um, we bought, uh, like one of those thermometers that you can take people's temp on their forehead. Um, gonna have parents stay in the cars. There's like phase one through four restrictions on what you can do as in a gym. Like they've come up with all that. Oh, really? Is that, is that on the state level or on a federal level that they've announced? Uh, well, I've heard some talk about tr uh, like a federal level of it, but uh, then like I'm like what I've seen is state level, but um, what I saw with that, it may be the state just adopting the federal. I don't know. Sure. I'm not hundred percent. Yeah. But, man, 150 students. That's awesome. How long have you been open? So April 1st was actually our 18 month anniversary nice so we uh we didn't have as many students in class <laughs> as we'd hoped on that day but uh you know being being closed down and everything but we'll we'll make it through and we'll uh we'll be back open in 11 days so we're gonna try to make up for lost time is that but, the date that you guys uh have projected right now or is that just what you're going with or what that's what we're going with cool dude it is like what are you thinking about um i haven't really talked to anybody about this but what are you thinking about all the protests happening? Like they're happening in a lot of places. Man, I, I, I typically don't talk about like political views and things like that. Um, being a gym owner and having students of all different thoughts and, you know, religions and political views and whatnot. But uh, I, I kind of broke down about that and made a video. I saw week. that. I saw that. That was a great post. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I feel pretty strongly about the things that are happening, and I, I don't want to turn this podcast into Clay Mayfield's For stance sure, on, on COVID, you know, but uh, I support the protests, and I support the thought behind them. I think it's time to reopen the economy. I think the economic shutdown is, is approaching a criminal level by our government, and that it's, um, that it's more dangerous than the virus, and, and uh, that we need to reopen the economy immediately. Man, so, there are just so many people that are like never going to recover from this. Like, absolutely, let's be real. Like, economically, there are people that are never going to recover from this, and there's people that are that are going to be in the streets uh, in mass because of this. Like homelessness, poverty, um, all of the issues that we were experiencing as a country are about to be, to amplify is my fear. But it's like you know. Possibly. I mean, it's like, is it unavoidable? Would uh, something similar to the Spanish flu be worse? I don't know. It, that's the thing. It's like, there's, there is no real way to know, 
you know, like what, which is the worst ripple is going to be. So I'm looking forward to being, being back in business though, because like, man, I've, I've been laid off both my jobs. Wow. Like I, cause I, all my college classes, I, all five college classes I teach online now. So. Wow. I, I joke around with people and tell them I'm twice unessential. <laughs> yeah. Bottom, bottom line. We'll all be happy when we're back after this back open and, and, uh, most of all, back on the mats. Exactly, man. And like, man, I, like how I've been with everybody I've chatted with about it, because it ultimately comes up in every conversation I have with every human being, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's like, man, it's been a real positive time for me. I've got tons of shit done. We're getting super settled into the gym. I've been exercising, hanging out with my dog, my wife. It's great. So. Yeah, there have definitely been some silver linings, you know, but one of the things about jiu-jitsu is that it's it's a psychological – can you can you hear me, Brian? Yeah, I can still hear you. Um, you know, jiu-jitsu and being on the mats is like a, a psychological and mental health outlet for so many of the people that train. It's, yeah. you know, it's how they cope with the issues they've got going on. It's how they, they vent. It's how they, you know, their, their therapy from anxiety and depression, you know, in many cases. And so, like, jiu-jitsu is essential to, to a lot of people's mental health. And then when you take those people, you take them away from their jobs, you, you isolate them. They're losing their money and their savings and their businesses in some cases, and they don't have their outlet. You know, like, that's, that's a cocktail for disaster. It is, man. And like, I, I have students like that. I'm sure you probably do too, that it's like, this has only amplified their struggle in life. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Not economically, just their mental health and like mentally healthy people are going to struggle with mental health. Absolutely. Dude. I, I like, I have, you know, close friends and family members that struggle more than I do, but I, I, I don't have like, like quote, have clinical depression, but I have had some severe depressive moments and you know like depressive days during the shutdown it's like you know like you you understand better than you know than most other people just how much you pour into owning your own business you know and and like your endeavors and when you see all of that like out of your control being shut down it's crushing and on top of that man i was i was five like five days away from pans you know which is the second biggest tournament in the world yeah. we were training we're training like fucking madmen for six months for that tournament. And then like, I'm about to fly out and got news that it was canceled and I'm, I'm not alone. You know, I'm not having like a, a pity party over here, but it's just like all of the, all of the preparation and then like the mental letdown and then your business goes under and then it's like, dude, and we're fortunate, you know, being like a, a largely subscription based service where people are paying a monthly membership. So many of our members have been amazing and kept us afloat, but like look at a restaurant or a coffee shop or someone like that that requires so many people walking through the door every day. It's like, man, my heart breaks for those people. Yeah. That's a restaurant industry. It's going to be uh, especially hard because even the ones that are open, there's no way that they're, they can generate the revenues off just carry out, you know? Oh, no way. We're, we're pretty good friends with a coffee shop down the street and uh, it's like a block away from our gym. So we go down there every day and do like emails and paperwork and kind of get out of the gym. And uh, man, they've been hit so hard been shut down for like eight weeks and it's just like a small family owned place too. So it's, it's just really sad when, when all of the, all of the memes and the statistics and the graphs have like a face to it, you know, when you know people that are being affected. 
Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, man, um, what something I was going to ask you, like, what are, what are some of the things you like, uh, I know you named your academy uh, kind of after like one of your specialty moves, if I'm not mistaken. Like, don't you have like some insane stat on triangle victories and tournaments? Uh, man, last time I checked, I'd, I'd done about 25 or 30% of, uh, of my wins in tournaments were by triangles. Um, so that's kind of, kind of been a thing, I guess, with my lanky ass legs that I, that I have sucked at the least. Um, but, uh, that's one of the reasons I named the school triangle Academy kind of, I gravitate toward triangles, but I always wanted the gym to like be bigger than just me. I, you know, I don't want to name it like Clay Mayfield's house of flying daggers or whatever. So like, I didn't, I didn't want to name it just after myself or about a move I was good at. So the idea of the triangle, I mean, you know how fundamental the triangle shape is to like martial arts and jiu-jitsu. Um, the triangle also represents the three parts of, of our like, human being that we want to cultivate through martial arts. So for, for us so like, at this gym, like we represent like the mind, the body and the spirit. And, you know, we're not, we're not into like, um, you know, we don't do like mystic rituals or sacrifice goats or anything, but just in general, you know, like through training and wanting to become not just like Billy badass, but we want to become calmer and, and more patient and like better in our personal lives and our business lives and in every aspect of being, not just, not just our triangle chokes. So calling a triangle Academy is kind of a, a nod to that aspect of, of cultivating ourselves through martial arts. No, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. What about your gym? Is, is it, Forca or Forza? It's Forza. Uh, Forza. So Forza is a Portuguese word for strength or power, right? Um, so, like, if you see some of our logos have the Japanese kanji on it, that's the okay. kanji, that's the kanji for strength. So um, we'll we'll put that on like some of our gear and stuff. But Forza Martial Arts, uh, just kind of like with uh, that being the the language of most of Brazil due to European colonization. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, that, that's kind of like a good friend of mine who actually helped me come up with my podcast name. Um, he, uh, he suggested it and I was like, man, I really like that. I'm going to name a gym that. That's awesome. man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, um, we opened up in 2012. So. Uh, okay. Wow. Been, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, at the time, uh, like probably midway through my blue belt, I believe, right? Okay. Uh, like I said, there was like, I think like half a dozen black belts in the state. And like what had happened is I'd, it'd been a couple of years, but my instructors moved to Northwest Arkansas, Caleb, uh, with Inferno. So I kind of had to throw up shop uh, here in Russellville where I was going to college just to kind of keep plugged in and training. Gotcha. So I would have met you probably a couple of years after that. I remember doing that AGF in Memphis and, and we had a couple of matches and I remember Cora was coaching and, uh, and that's, I guess where we first connected and you were a purple belt at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then just kind of connected through social media and seeing each other around at tournaments through your Brown belt and getting your black belt what, two years ago. It has been, yes, it has been two years. Just hit two years uh, just the other day, last month. Wow, that's crazy, man. Congratulations. Thanks, man. It's, um, it's weird that it's been two years. 
it, that yeah. just uh, like I was like, wow, that's uh, time flies. But man, it's weird. Like one, like once I got promoted, I was like, huh, oh, okay, well, uh, all right, all that's out of the way. Like, yeah. like, well, Alan Shade, this guy, he owns a gym out in Las Vegas, uh, but he did he did have a gym in South Haven. He moved. Uh, he was saying the same thing. He's like, man, something like changed mentally when I got my bike belt, like about like uh, the whole milestone motivation, you know, like yeah. I, I've got this allotted amount of time to try and achieve these goals inside of this belt level before I received, like what you were saying earlier, um, you have like goals for your brown belt um it's like yeah there's degrees to blind belt and stuff but it's like all that kind of goes out the window i was very kind of of that same mindset when i was coming up and it does yeah that makes sense man that makes sense it's like your belt belt color is never really going to change after that yeah yeah i mean for yeah especially for a lot of people i guess you might earn a coral belt someday but yeah that's more like a participation like a lifetime achievement award i guess for sure. Well, man, what are some goals you have for the future um, for your gym and just for competition? I know you mentioned some things earlier, but what uh, what can we uh, be on the lookout for uh, once things get back in full swing? Well, man, a uh, couple of couple big things for me personally. I uh, uh, I've always wanted to win worlds, you know, win pans and worlds at brown belt, um, and uh, so climbing up that direction so i've competed like avidly for the last two years i still have have yet to medal uh, at pans or worlds so winning those two is um is my my main goal in life you know winning worlds of brown belt and then carrying on to black belt after that i want to be the number one ranked brown belt you know in the u.s and and uh and in the world um right now i'm ranked number seven um so i've got a few more spots to go and then uh and then carrying on into black belt, you know, and seeing how far I can carry things with black belt. Um, for the gym, you know, we're, we're a year and a half open right now. And, you know, there's a couple like numbers, of course, that I want to hit, but the, the main goal is to, uh, to outgrow the location we're in now. And I've, you know, I've got some plans for our second location. I don't have like a grand, um, you know, master plan for wanting to have, you know, 13 affiliate schools or anything like that. We just want the, the gym to continue to grow and the, the quality of what we do here until we have like a Pedigo submission fighting Tennessee, basically, you know, we've got Pedigo headquarters is in Southern Illinois and we've got a couple of satellite schools around there and, and, and one in Indiana, I think. And then this is the only Pedigo school in Tennessee. So just continuing to cultivate the gym here until it has the same feel and the same intensity and the same level of killers that we have in headquarters would be, would be the main goal I've got for the gym. Do you guys do anything other than jujitsu training? We don't. Like, we don't have kickboxing classes or so on, but we incorporate judo and wrestling very heavily into the jujitsu. There's a lot of takedowns and grappling and nogi in the, you know, in the curriculum that we, we cycle through, and, uh, and we always start from the feet during you know, sparring and competition rounds. So we, we focus pretty heavily on the judo and wrestling incorporated into the jujitsu. Nice. What what is your rank in judo? Are you still pursuing rank in judo? I'm not. I'm I'm on paper. I'm a black belt in judo, but uh, it was it was a class that was just taught at the jiu jitsu school I was at. So I'm not like officially ranked through the uh, the judo federation or anything like that. I've never done a judo only <laughs> tournament because I always learned judo through like the jiu jitsu rule set. I mean, I, I 
I, I feel like I know the judo rules, but it was always like, uh, you know, like you get the throw and then continue on into the jiu-jitsu aspect. And uh, do you know who Travis Stevens is? Yeah, yeah, I do. So Travis came here. Uh, I know Travis like through the Fuji um, the organization and being sponsored through Fuji and whatnot. And so we brought him in a couple of months ago and he did like a weekend judo camp. And we're, we're gonna, we've already scheduled him again for this year. And he's, he's, we're going to try to make that like an annual thing. Nice. But, dude, Travis is just probably top, top 10 that I've ever trained with. Uh, but having him come in and teach judo and, like, I, I felt like I was a white belt, you know. Like, like, he would show me basic grip things, you know, from an Olympic-level judo player that, that, like, I'd never seen before. And it was like I, I don't like telling people that, like, I, quote, have a black belt in judo because – there's just kind of levels to it. Like I've never trained it like on that kind of level. It would, it would almost be like saying, you know, you did some grappling at your Kung Fu school and, and then you walk into a jiu-jitsu academy, you know, I'd say it's, it's more accurate to say that I, I'm, you know, I'm good at like 10 or 12 judo throws and, and I have a little judo experience. Man, you have, uh, I've seen you adapt it really well into your jiu-jitsu. I remember um, you were in a super bite one time, and I had like an Uchimata to mounted triangle. It was insane. Sounds like me. I get lucky sometimes. <laughs> but um, you know, it that is that is what drew me to judo was um, like it was like a, an add on, a patch for my game for to give me confidence to starting from standing and having better follow ups from the feet and controlling pins better. Uh, so it 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 served its purpose for, you know, what I've tried to integrate it for very well. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's like pulling guard is kind of a, a part of jujitsu and, and, you know, you should know how to do that. Of course I, I pull guard occasionally, but pulling guard should always be an option and never like a necessity. You should know how to wrestle and you should know how to fight off your feet. Yeah. Um, agreed. agreed. It's not, it sounds like you have some judo experience as well then. Uh, yeah, I have um, just my showdown. I, I when did I like I got my show on when I was still a brown belt in jujitsu. Okay. Uh, and I've competed um just at one tournament. I did the Dallas uh it's like the Dallas class. They have it every year. It's a really big tournament. I think it's called the Winter Classic or something, but I can't it's a it's a huge tournament. But I got a few matches in there and it was a good experience. It just never was um it was never, it's never anything I like I'm trying to pursue on the yeah. level that I'm pursuing jiu-jitsu. So did you get down like the, the Kevin Williams foot sweep? <laughs> Dude. <laughs> oh man. Kev, Kev's got some sick foot sweeps. I want to have him on the podcast uh, just to talk with him about his game. Yeah, uh, for real, man. He's, he's an interesting cat. He really is. Um, yeah. And uh, who's the guy that um, runs, um, uh, fight to win, Seth. Seth Dan. Yeah. Did, isn't he who inspired Kevin to adopt that foot sweep? I, I haven't heard that story, but I believe it. Seth is the one that knocked that dude out at pans with the foot sweep. Oh, wow. Yeah, I do. Man, foot sweeps require such a high level of timing, but I love training foot sweeps. And I've landed a few uh, live. Mm -hmm. uh, but – and I've actually, man, so I got foot swept in a match one time in Springfield, uh, like, oh, curied and, like, did a break fall. He, he, like, I went so high in the air, I had time to, like, fully break fall. It was <laughs> nice. Yeah. He, yeah. 
<laughs> Heath once told me that either they're on your highlight reel or you're on their highlight reel. Yeah. I'll tell you, man, my, my preferred throw that I landed oh, over 20 times easily in competition was Uki Waza. Yeah. Bro, that was that's one of my favorites. I would do it to like knee slide passes, arm bars. Like I would land in all sorts of top follow ups for that. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's the other thing too. Is like some of the throws in, in judo and in wrestling, but especially with judo, they translate better to jujitsu than other throws because some of them are you know when you get that ip on, it doesn't matter if you, they roll over and get on top of you. In judo, you win, but in jujitsu, you kind of put yourself in a bad spot. I've had I've had people hit tons of wasaris on me, but then I was like bow and arrow choking them right after that happened. Nice, nice. You know, yeah. and that is one like I guess people are going for like an eerie say an augie or something. Um, yeah. But there's a guy that used to be at uh, Barada, which is like where Bryce Mitchell's out of. He's yeah. here in Arkansas in the UFC. But um, they had this really good judo player move in from like the like the Ukraine or something. He'd like trained judo for years. And he would always try and come in on me with like a, like an eerie technique, and uh, it would end up in a bow and arrow choke. That's happened yeah. a lot when I played with judo guys. Yeah, like all the Makakomi throws too. Yeah, yeah, man. I have one of my guys, John. He has insane judo and some insane Makakomis. He's been competing a lot for the last yeah. couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to meet him, man. I'll have to come up to to the gym sometime. Yeah, man, we should um, – we definitely should should get together. Maybe we can have you in for a seminar or something. Or if you're ever passing through, man, um, stop in and say hello. You're, you'd be, always be welcome, man. Absolutely. And uh, next time we have Travis down, man, I'll have to let you know if you, get, if you want to bring some guys down. Likewise, keep me in the loop on events. And um, if I head that way, you know, I usually – like we've gone to Nashville last – like once a year, last two or three years, so. Oh, for sure, man, yeah. I'm in the yeah. I'll hit you up, man. Yeah, Michelle and I would love to host you know host you guys hang out, kind of um, get some training in, maybe show you show you around the town a little bit. Heck yeah, man. Well, um, dude, uh, I guess let's go ahead and wrap it up, man. We've been we've been chatting for about an hour. Um, I, re I really appreciate you taking the time to to sit down and talk, Clay. Well, Brian, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the conversation and uh, catching up after so long. I know we've, uh, we've seen each other around, you know, every so often, but we haven't had a chance to sit down and really catch up on what's going on. Yeah, man. Uh, it was a pleasure and, um, you know, let's stay in touch and hopefully I'll see you soon. Let's do it. Thank you, Brian. All right, man. See you. See you.